cash. How do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Graff, joined today by Arif Hassan. The two of us are looking down at a dark and a little bit gloomy soldier field from up in one of these bougie suites up here. Uh, we just watched Arif. A very strange game. The Vikings had two yes. first half possessions, struggled on offense throughout. The defense was actually pretty good. Uh, and yet, you know, it was more of the same from these games uh, involving the Vikings here at Soldier Field and in Chicago. They lose 16 to 6. They are now at the bottom of the NFC North, which I think is not something any of us expected, but turns out the division is, it appears, very good this season. Um, and the Vikings are, are going to have to win some road games if they expect to get where they want to go. But let's reverse course and, and go back to this game, uh, a strange game. What, what were some of your big takeaways from this game? Well, I think one is that, or the primary takeaway is that uh, game management in tight situations continues to be a problem, both for Coach Zimmer. Obviously, we saw that at the end of the first half with an odd timeout with no time left on the play clock. Uh, and then also for Kirk Cousins, who continues to lead lethargic offenses down multiple possessions in the fourth quarter. I don't understand. We saw this last year against the Saints. You know, we asked about it in the presser. He said he didn't really see what the problem was. Um, they lost that game, by the way, um, as they lost this game. Uh, and so there's no sense of kind of the situation when it comes to Cousins. He seems to make the same throw on first and 10 in the middle of the second quarter as he does on third and six down two possessions with four minutes left. I mean, it's it's the same throw and and he doesn't kind of adjust what he's doing for situation. And then obviously at the, at the top level, you know, Mike Zimmer in terms of managing the clock, you know, doesn't seem to find a way to maximize the possessions they do have. Right. Let's start with the end of the game first. The Vikings are down two scores effectively, 16 to zero. And yet, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like they come out and even though Kirk Cousins has some targets down the field, it wasn't like uh, Kevin Stefanski was only calling, you know, plays with curls and slants. He had some targets down the field and yet right. he routinely was choosing. And I think that we've heard him talk about this before, but he's routinely choosing the targets much closer to him within five or seven yards of the line of scrimmage. And I think when we've heard him talk about this in the past, he's always, you know, he's always said, well, here are my pro progressions. If the guy downfield is covered or double covered, or if there's a safety back there, I'm not going to force it. But I think, and correct me if, if you disagree, but there's, there are some times when you got to force the passes and being down 16 to zero late in the fourth quarter, when you haven't moved the ball at all, seems like one of those times. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to remove this discussion from the specific and the abstract to help kind of prove your point. OK, you take a look at some of the best fourth quarter comeback quarterbacks in history. You take a look at, you know, all the all, all the quarterbacks that have been down in the fourth quarter by however many scores. And you take a look at how many times they've won the game. And, you know, the obvious candidates come up. It's Peyton Manning. It's Drew Brees. It's Tom Brady. One name that actually doesn't come up with all that often is Aaron Rodgers. And the reason for that is because he is too risk-averse in these situations. Because if you take a look at what these great quarterbacks do, their interception rates are really high in those fourth quarters. Now, obviously, in the games where they throw that interception, they tend to lose. But in the games where they don't, they're making the same kinds of throws that are gutsy, that hurt their statistics, 
right? That that are risks, that are, you know, jump balls that put receivers in very difficult situations. But those are the kinds of throws that you need to make at the end of the game when you're down that win. In fact, it's not even close. Like Peyton Manning is far and away the interception leader among these quarterbacks in those situations and far and away the leader in win percentage in these situations. And I think that's instructive when it comes to Cousins, who's clearly making all these safe underneath throws that don't really move the ball all that. I mean, it's like six yards, right? Or four <laughs> yards. And it's like, tech, well, you're technically getting first downs. You Fourth know. quarter, third and 18, he threw a three-yard pass to Dalvin Cook. Three yards. There was a linebacker right behind Cook. Right, yeah. Third it's, and 18. It's an easy completion. And that's all that he can see is the easy completion. There's no inherent or internal risk calculus in his head about, hey, this is a low percentage throw to, to Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen. And admittedly, Stephon Diggs is having kind of a difficult year relative to his talent level. But I mean, this is where he makes up for it, right? Like Dalvin Cook is great, but he's not going to turn that into a 90-yard run, right? Uh, Cook or, or Diggs down the field or Thielen down the field, they might get 40, 50 yards, or they might get zero, or it might even be an interception, right? But a loss is a loss. If you keep on making these three-yard throws, you're going to get a bunch of completions and a loss. Whereas if you throw just two or three times down the field to the two best contested catch receivers in the NFL. That is maybe the craziest <laughs> part of all of this, is that they're a team built around these two amazing wide receivers who can go up and get jump balls. They're a team you would think when you look at their roster would be if you're just looking at the skill positions, great at making these sort of comebacks or at least putting right. together these drives and Kirk Cousins doesn't give them a chance. Yeah, it, it, it's stunning. And uh, there's this moment uh, near the end where uh, it's a play action, uh, which I don't even understand. Like, why would you run the ball? <laughs> um, which, by the they way- They really fooled the Bears there. Yeah, they didn't bite, which shocking, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and Diggs has, you know, two, two defenders on him, as is appropriate. And he's streaking down the field. And he's got a half a step on them, which in the NFL, that's open, right? That's open-ish, right? There's, you know, if you don't place the ball perfectly, that's going to be pass deflection. If you place it poorly, it's going to be interception. It's not, you know, winning odds on the throw, but he's open-ish, right? And he's streaking down the field, and it's Stephon Diggs. And Cousins checks it down. He's rolling out. He checks it down to to CJ Ham, And to CJ Ham's credit, he catches it this time. Earlier, <laughs> he dropped it, right? Fantastic. And you get like, what, four, five, six yards, something like that. And I turn and look at Diggs, and he's just looking either at the sideline or at Cousins because they're at the same spot at this point. And he's just got his his shoulders, he's shrugging, he's got his arms wide, and he has no idea what's happening. Because in any typical situation, you'd expect a quarterback to give the receiver that shot because you're not really going to get that open that late in the game, that deep downfield, because... That's what teams are expecting, and that's what they're going to cover. So if you've got half a step, that's a better chance than you'll probably get for the rest of that drive. Yeah, and that to me brings us to the biggest story from this game. Yes, they, you know, the offense was horrible. Yes, they lost by 10 points, but it's only week four, two and two. To me, though, the biggest takeaway from this or the biggest, you know, storyline that you can draw from this game is Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs right now must be shaking their heads. Like, what in the world is going on? You saw you mentioned that play and what happens with Stefan Diggs after. I believe it was that same play on the sideline. Diggs was waving his arms, clearly animated, yelling. Kevin Stefanski was right next to him. Uh, it was hard to tell if he was upset with Stefanski or just the offense in general, the lack of targets. You mentioned CJ Ham At one point in the third quarter, not like the small sample size of one quarter, in the third quarter at one point, 
C.J. Hamm had more targets from Kirk Cousins than Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen combined. And combined. now I think we're starting to see the Vikings' two wide receivers, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, maybe the best receiving duo in all of the NFL. Perhaps frustration starting to boil over. By the end of the game, Adam Thielen was just sitting alone on the bench. Stefan Diggs took off his gloves, threw him on the ground. There is queer frustration. And after the game, I think you saw it carry over there too. Stefan Diggs, for the second straight week, uh, did not speak with the media, which on the one hand, fine, so be it. On the other hand, uh, is not really making it much of a secret how he feels between as soon as we walk in, he gets up in full pads and walks out of the locker room. Last week, even though the Vikings won, he did the same thing in part because he was only targeted three times at three catches for 15 yards um, and then sent out a couple of cryptic tweets that I think is sent Vikings fans into a little bit of a state of concern. Um Adam Thielen, on the other hand, was much more explicit with what he was going on. It didn't take uh, some master reading between the lines to see that he is queerly frustrated. Um, he, he said that he's more frustrated than any Vikings fans. He, he was asked at one point uh, if it was difficult because he couldn't get any space. He couldn't get open against these Bears. And he just simply said, no, I, I didn't feel that way. Um, queerly insinuating that he does feel like he's getting open. Stefan Diggs, I think you would have to imagine, probably feels the same way. And yet Kirk Cousins is not looking to them. Right. And it's very clear that, that Thielen is not attempting to, to directly throw blame at Kirk Cousins. But, you know, you create a framework, you're like, hey, there's two elements to this. There's Kirk Cousins throwing the ball and you receiving the ball. How did you think you did on your element? And, and he says, Basically perfect. So I don't know, right? <laughs> like you know, it's it, like, and and he, I don't think he's wrong either. I mean, he was open downfield. We saw that a couple of times, and he's declining those. Um, it, what's interesting, you take a look at the the final box score: thirteen targets between Diggs and Thielen. Fairly normal box score for them, yeah. you know, thirteen seems targets. fine. Um, but then you realize, like, almost all of these targets occur in the fourth quarter, uh, and and they don't seem to occur in situations that like make a ton of sense. Diggs short for a curl with no opportunity for yards. After the, the only one that made sense was Diggs had a slant. He got 18 yards, right? Like, mm-hmm. great, I guess. That in the fourth and two when he threw right. it up to Diggs. But yeah. outside of that, I mean, just the fact that they had three combined targets midway through the third quarter spells out why there is frustration with their two best receivers right now. Right, and, and the answers that you get from Cousins after the game, which, I mean, I understand he's more accountable to the coaches than he is to us. But the fact that he wasn't even willing to just say, you know, perhaps earlier in the game I should have targeted them more, I think it's because he says, you know, hey, the reason that, you know, I wasn't targeting them, and he describes a couple of plays where actually, in fact, for the most part, he did target them and it didn't work out. (laughs) Um, And it's like, well, we're not talking about the plays where you targeted them. We're talking about one play where Adam Thielen was covered, which is basically what he brings up. We're talking about all these plays where unless you think that it's very likely that both Thielen and Diggs are covered for most of the game— in which case that's a different conversation, you know, it seems like you're not doing your job, right? Yeah. And, 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 and he's just saying, you know, Ham is the best option on this play or Cook is the best option on this play. And it's like, I have a, a hard time believing that CJ Ham is the best option <laughs> for most of the game. And it's, you know, I don't want to go back and, you know, play what if this or what if that, but Vikings' first drive actually doing okay and moving the ball. And uh, they have, I believe it's a third and short and they're at the, the Bears' 47-yard line. Kirk Cousins drops back 
Adam Thielen beats his man in coverage, headed toward the corner of the end zone. Thielen uh, seemingly is going to have a decent shot at a touchdown, probably an easy touchdown with a good ball. And yet Kirk Cousins overthrew that ball after the game recognized that's a ball that I've got to make a better throw there. We we have to make that play. But just to think about how different this game could have been if they suddenly hit Thielen for a 47-yard pass. It's a 7-7 game. Like the whole complexion just changes. And instead, uh, the Vikings only got one other possession the entire first half, which really sort of threw everything out of whack. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the game plan in general. The Bears did not have Akeem Hicks, which perhaps raised some hopes that they might be able to run the ball. Um, and yet 14 carries for Dalvin Cook and, and only 35 yards. Do you think they were too insistent trying to run on this great defense? Is that an okay strategy? They just have to execute better? What, what did you make of uh, just at least sticking with the run early? Well, so the the question is like whether or not you can expect to get uh, returns, which I mean, sometimes that's not yards. I mean, the, the team is very explicit that sometimes they want to run the ball because running the ball opens things up later in the game. And, you know, there's some evidence that maybe that's not the case, but that's what they believe. Right. And so if that's are they getting all of those goals accomplished? It's very clear they're not getting those yards. I would say going into the game, we wouldn't have expected them to get those yards. You know, the, the defenses they've been running against are famously just like not good at defending the run. I mean, which that's how you get to 6.6 yards a carry for the season, right? Like which you have a good running back against bad defenses. But, you know, we've been pointing out that the run blocking itself has not actually been all that spectacular. And so when you go up against a defense that is known to have great tacklers, you know, that's not going to be the case. So you need to have a game plan that takes into account the fact that you might not be able to run the ball. Like maybe you can run the ball, you run the ball early and it's working out. Uh, and Zimmer's been very insistent that, you know, however you do running the ball early, that doesn't matter because eventually you'll break <laughs> one, which didn't happen this time. Um, it's always a funny quote to hear him say, too. Like maybe it's two yards, one yard, minus one yards, three yards, one yard. He says this every single time. And then you start 75. popping. Yeah, 18, 26. Well, it doesn't always seem to work out that way. Right. And so when that's the case, you need to have plans put in place. And it doesn't, I mean, Thielen basically even said, you know, it seems like we don't have a plan for when the run game isn't there. Right. right? Which is silly because you think your normal response is, well, yeah, the plan is to pass the ball. Right. Right. But like they, they just don't seem to have an offense that seems very well comfortable or suited to throwing the ball and they had to throw the ball this game. Like we knew that by the end of the year, they're probably going to throw more than they're going to pass uh, more than they're going to run. Right. That's what every team in the NFL does. Even if you're very run heavy uh, and they're just not prepared to throw the ball. <laughs> it's amazing. Let's go do, I think the one potential defense of Kirk cousins, this game, which is that the offensive line in front of him was not good. That he was constantly under pressure, sacked, I believe six times, hurried plenty more, what in the, I mean, this was a Bears defense that I think Vikings fans were a little optimistic to get them. Now, if you had told Vikings fans that midway through the first quarter, the Bears would be without one of their best offensive linemen, without their starting quarterback, without Akeem Hicks, an outstanding defensive tackle. And without, without Kyle Long. Without Kyle Long, without Roquan Smith. Like they were without a lot of players if you told Vikings fans they were going to get the Bears in that situation, I think the confidence is probably sky high amongst Vikings fans. And yet the offensive line was dismal today. How bad was it? What did you see from them? 
I, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, dismal's the perfect word. Uh, I mean, w- what's interesting is that I feel like I'm repeating myself with the offensive line. Four of them played poorly. One of them played extremely well, right? Brian O'Neill had a phenomenal game. Well, a good game, I should say. Not phenomenal. A really good game. Phenomenal compared to his teammates. Right, yeah. When he gets the benefit of this comparison where it's like Dakota Dozier, right? (laughs) Who I think had one really good snap and the rest was a disaster. Or Garrett Bradbury, who I think people are kind of coming around on the fact that maybe he's actually not that good. Right. And that the running numbers are not an indication, which in this game weren't even that good. Well, the running number is not an indication that he's playing well at center. Pat Elfline, who I think had the most visible, you know, pressure mm-hmm. given up on the day, uh, just because it was so quick. I, I think it was either Roy, Roy Robertson Harris or Nick Williams, both of whom had, you know, really phenomenal days. All, they gave up a, a, a lot of pressure, um, but I do want to say, I don't think they gave up more pressure than the than they gave up in the Packers game. I think the Packers game we saw more pressure come faster. Than, than in the Bears game. We saw pressure arrive kind of late, and I think a lot of that's on Cousins. Right. You know, uh, I think, you know, maybe a quarter of the pressures are a result of the quarterback holding onto the ball. You know, I would say in Khalil Mack-adjusted terms, Riley Reef <laughs> right. did, you know, maybe below average. <laughs> like, you put an average tackle against Khalil Mack, they'll only do marginally better than Riley Reef did. And so given that, you know, they did poorly, you want a better performance, you would say that this is an offensive line that needs work. But if I'm pinning the blame on anyone, I would say that the offensive line is second or third. Sure. Um, you know, they they couldn't open up lanes to run the ball. That's on them. They couldn't stop, you know, rushers from getting to the passer on a lot of occasions. That's on them. But, you know, they can't be expected to hold the pocket for, you know, more than three seconds, you know, while Kirk is trying to scramble uh, when there isn't pressure and then bring invites pressure in. Um, and so, you know, they played poorly. That needs to be improved. I just, they, they just can't be the story of the game based off of what we saw. Right. Kirk Cousins fumbled twice, strip sack twice. And I think part of what's so frustrating with Kirk Cousins is that it just doesn't ever seem to improve. Like Mike Zimmer has said, right. including on the horrible pass in Green Bay that essentially cost that game. Like, hey, we're just going to get back and watch some film and coach him up. We're going to coach him up. Everything's going to be fixed. But this is who Kirk Cousins is. It's who he has been. It's who he probably will continue to be. Uh, when it's time to lead a big drive and let Thewin and Diggs go make a play, he's probably going to check down because the opposition has those two, you know, double covered or has a safety high. Uh, it, yeah, the when read says this, I do this. Right. The read says this, I it, do I this. I mean, it's it's so predictable and very robotic at this point. And yet I think it's still maddening. Like everybody knows this is what Kirk Cousins is probably going to do. He's not great at protecting the ball when he is in the pocket. He's not great at making reads and understanding situational football. And yet we all sort of expect different things when those same situations come up. It's It's got to be so I, maddening. I think it's because we have so much experience in the rest of our lives with people <laughs> improving on their flaws, right? Like we form relationships with people that over time we expect them to improve as people, right? And so when we're in another atmosphere, like in a football game, and you're seeing the same person that you saw five years ago, it's so fr- it's in, in, unspeakably frustrating. It you is. see a rookie do that, and you're like, okay, fine, yep. right? But you know, he's going to learn. He's young. <laughs> like Mike Zimmer said, we're going to coach him up. A couple years of Mike Zimmer, it'll all get better. Right. And and now you know Cousins uh, leads the league in fumbles since 2017 or something like that. Um, I'm confident that if you go all the way back to 2015, he's up there. You know, top three. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was number one. Uh, and you know, we asked him in the off season, Hey, uh, so this fumbling thing seems like it's a problem. And he's like, yeah, I checked the data 
and it isn't. So <laughs> not really. You guys are kind of overblowing this. What are you talking about? It's like, well, the fumbles happen in different ways. And it's like, well, they happen in different ways to you more than anyone else, right? <laughs> so that means something. But, you know, he's like, yeah. We and so we figured out kind of how those fumbles occur and how to stop them. And then, you know, this last, you know, against Green Bay, we're like, okay, so the fumble things, they happened again, right? So sounds like it is a thing. And he's like, yeah, they happen in different ways again. You know, I got to protect the ball, my fundamentals. Uh, I got to bring that ball in. I got to be aware of that guy. And it's like, well, okay, now we, we know that. Uh, can you? Right. Four games this season for the Vikings. Three of them, multiple fumbles from Kirk Cousins. Uh, at the top, Arif, you mentioned in-game situations and two of the horrible sort of flabbergasting ones that the Vikings made. We, we've gone over, you know, the strange drive from Kirk Cousins down 16 where you continue to check down. And even though it culminated in a touchdown, uh, took up way too much time. The other strange one comes at the end of the first half. There's a little more than two minutes remaining in the half. And the Vikings get a stop on third down. I believe it's fourth and two uh, from maybe the 35 or 37-yard line, something like that. At first, Matt Nagy sends out his rookie kicker, and it looks like they're going to attempt a field goal. So Mike Zimmer and the Vikings counter with their field goal block team. They all come running onto the field. Around that time, it seems either Matt Nagy changes his mind or this was intentional. That part is not entirely clear uh, but the punter sort of starts waving to Pinero, the kicker, get off the field, get off the field. We're going to punt now. So now they're lined up to punt and the Vikings realizing this decide, all right, we need our field goal block team off the field and we need to get our punt return team on the field. Uh, as they're doing that, um, Mike Zimmer, I think is starting to become fearful that they're going to get a 12 men on the field penalty. But what apparently he's not realizing or looking at in the middle of all of this is that the Bears are nowhere near ready to snap this. There's two seconds left on the play clock, and they seem perfectly content to just take a delay of game penalty to give them more room to punt the ball. It's something that happens in a lot of football games. Uh, but instead, Mike Zimmer decides to call timeout. Matt Nagy, I think, looks at that and is like, what's what you're doing? What? Like, all right, fine. You want to call timeout and not give us the extra room to punt? Then we're going to go for it. Right. They go for it, and that drive... Uh, ends in a field goal. And of course, the difference in this game was not just a field goal, but going down 10-0 at the half, you know, I think felt a little bit different than than 7-0, obviously. And, and even if it didn't ultimately uh, impact it in terms of the Bears didn't win by three points, just a strange play sequence decision. I, I don't really understand all of that. You were there for Mike Zimmer's press conference. What did he say? What, what were your takeaways? Well, so... Uh... Just going back to like the situation on the field, you know, not not only were they not ready to to do anything, they didn't. Their long snapper wasn't even over the ball. Right, right. He wasn't touching the, the ball as the clock winds down. Two so, seconds left on the play. Like, if you look up and see that, you know they're taking a delay again. Right. Yeah, and and that's it. Right. You don't need to line up, and they're not willing to initiate a twelve man on the field penalty because they have to snap the ball for that to happen. Right. Uh, and so uh, I I was just baffled. I think a lot of us were surprised when we heard it was the Vikings who called the timeout. Like, I fully expected it to be the Bears, right? And I, I don't know why they would want to, because then you give an extra play to the Vikings, but fine, whatever, right? And that, so the problem there is not just that there's a there's a three-point gain for the Bears from that. It's that the Vikings would have gotten the ball back with two minutes left. Uh, and so, which, you know, would have been nice. And so, right. uh, you know, maybe they have the potential to score, right? And so you could actually cut... Uh, it, it's a 10-0 lead into a 7-3 lead or something, right? Like, that's enormous. 
Um, so we asked this uh, to, to Zimmer after after the game, and honestly, I'm I'm pretty okay with his answer. He was just like, I made a mistake. Yeah, I just I couldn't. I made a mistake. And we asked, well, did you think you were going to initiate a 12 minute on the field penalty because that was kind of the speculation? And he goes, no, I just made a mistake. Yeah, fair enough. He made Fine. a mistake there. Uh, the Vikings defense, Zimmer's, of course, beloved unit, struggles on the opening drive. Um, although, you know, struggled and perhaps helped the Bears along with a couple of penalties. At one point, seemed to have taken the ball away with a strip sack of Mitch Trubisky on the play that Trubisky hurt his left shoulder. Uh, looked like they were going to set the Vikings up for good field position. And then there was um, a penalty down the field, I believe, on Anthony Harris. And, and so the drive continues and Chase Daniel comes into the game and, um, you know, frankly was... Better than I expected was, Trubisky to be. So Yes, that, that is the <laughs> appropriate way to put it. And I think he threw it to his left. So there was also yeah, that for you. Forced him to defend the whole field. <laughs> um, after the Vikings' first defensive drive, though, they seemed to really buckle down and, and play better. What were... You know, obviously the takeaway from this game is, and the frustration is going to stem from the offense and Kirk Cousins and not getting the ball to his playmaker's hands. But on the flip side, uh, the Vikings Stevens didn't have the toughest challenge against the Bears offense and, and the Chase Daniel-led offense at that. But w- what did you make of how the defense played? What's interesting is, uh, so Chase Daniel, he ends up with 6.5 yards per attempt, which is uh, significantly below average for a quarterback. You want to be above you know, seven and a half. I think around the same of what Kirk Cousins was at. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins was actually a little bit lower until I think the final moments of the game uh, where he was able to build up on. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Six, four, seven for Cousins. Right. Building on. Uh, building on a fourth. Yeah. Yes. So uh, what's interesting is that that's pretty below average, but you take a look at his pass rating, it's 101.4. Well, why is that? His completion rate was very, very high. And so it kind of feels like all these drives are just kind of weighing on the Vikings. But it turns out in the second half, the Vikings allowed one third down conversion. They forced five punts, uh, you know, and and five punts and like seven drives is amazing. It's incredible. And so there's this feeling that, that Chase Daniel is driving down the field and it turns out they're just forcing a lot of completions. And the reason all of these completions are happening and they're happening really fast for very few yards is because the defense is actually generating a ton of pressure and he has to get rid of the ball really quickly. We saw really incredible performance from Everson Griffin. We saw a really good performance from Daniel Hunter. I didn't expect to see a stretch of games where Griffin has actually been playing better than Hunter. And that's not Hunter's fault. Hunter's playing right. very well and Griffin is playing at this incredible level. So he he has uh, he does a great job of generating all this pressure. They do a good job rushing four. They blitz a couple of times. They generate pressure on those plays. And you know it's a five-yard completion on third and eight. Great. You know, that's exactly what the Vikings are trying to do. But it does feel like Chase Daniel is doing a lot more than he actually is. Uh, and so that kind of, I think, contributes to like the sense of frustration that it feels like they're marching down the field, but they force these punts, you know, even before they, they get to the 50. Uh, and so I think that's a lot of it. Obviously, you know, holding the Bears to 2.2 yards a carry. I mean, that's right. extraordinary. Uh, 4.0 yards per play. That's what the Bears finish with. I mean, that's just awful offensively. I mean, w- whenever that happens, the Vikings should feel like, all right, this is going to be an easy win. We don't have to worry at all today. Right. They allowed four scoring drives. One of those drives, the Bears had negative yardage, right? It was a <laughs> negative four-yard scoring drive. You can't hold that against the defense, right? Uh, it's a fumble, you know, within that's in the red zone. So. I, I, I knew how poor that drive was, but I guess it didn't hit me that they had a negative four-yard scoring drive. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, on, on drives where Chase Daniel starts as the quarterback, and gains positive yards, they gave up six points, right? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and so, yeah, okay, the Vikings gave up an opening drive touchdown. I guess you just have to bake that in now. Uh, right. And for the rest of the game, you know, they were stunning. You know, the idea that, you know, they, they gave up like a quarter of their points on a drive where they actually forced the offense backwards uh, is hilarious to me, but also is like demonstrative of the fact that the defense actually played, I think, a lot better than people think given kind of how this game went. And I think it's just because after the Bears went up 10-0, it just felt like that was insurmountable. And so the fact that they continued adding, you know, two more scoring drives to it, you know, it just feels like chipping away and it feels like the defense is just kind of allowing these things to happen. But actually, they played a really phenomenal game. You know, 72 total rushing yards uh, because of those 2.2 yards per carry. I mean, the Bears wanted to salt this game away with the running game. They've got, you know, a, a running back that they drafted that they like a lot, David Montgomery. They've promoted him to the starter. He's, you know, in college, he was the best at forcing missed tackles, and he can't get going, so they're forced to throw the ball on third down. And so, you know, they did a really good job forcing the Bears' offense to do things that they didn't want to do and, in fact, couldn't even execute all that well. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in a podcast on Minnesota sports that perhaps is covering a team that is winning a bit more than the Vikings, we encourage you to check out the Puck It, We'll Do It live podcast brought to you by Dan Hayes and Zach Pierce. Episodes twice a week and a very, very big announcement coming on Monday. Before we wrap up, Arif, let's just look forward a little bit. Uh, the Vikings on the road again next week, now heading to the New York Giants, who you know I think have gotten a little bit of good news and a little bit of bad news. They're still without Saquon Barkley, even though he continues to say he'll be back earlier than expected. But uh, what has worked out for them is, is their new rookie quarterback replacing EY, Man- EY Manning. Uh, and now sort of suddenly the offense is, is working and the Giants don't seem as bad as I think a lot of us expected from the Vikings. What, what are you, you know, what are you I, looking forward to? So I was peeking over to the the Giants Washington game in part to watch, you know, old friend Case Keenum, uh, which didn't have <laughs> didn't to watch last very long. long. Yep. Yeah, um, and uh, the Vikings open at four and a half point favorites. When I tweet this out, people didn't believe me, which I understand. <laughs> um, but you know, I think you know Jones actually didn't have all that great a game. You know, the Giants defense did a really phenomenal job. That's bad news for the Vikings because you know they can't seem to perform against good defenses, um, but. Uh, you know, Jones had a, a bunch of, you know, turnover worthy plays, you know, he made a bunch of rookie mistakes, it's fine, there's no, you know, indication that this is a bad pick for the future. But, you know, given that, you know, he's had one good game, one poor game, where they just happened to win by 21 points or something like that. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of, there's a big unknown here, you know, how are the Vikings going to do against a, you know, a rookies at a bad game and a good game, you know, who's clearly provided a spark to the offense, regardless of how well he's playing. Uh, and, and a Giants defense that seemingly does have the ability to force like a bunch of turnovers. Now, admittedly, they were against a rookie quarterback in Case Keenum, able to get five interceptions. But right. uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's interesting to think that the Vikings are these kind of overwhelming. Fa- and I assume that's going to get bet down probably you know, as soon as that opens. But like you know, the Giants are even at home, right? Yeah. Um. So that's probably going to get bet down. But you know, the the assumption is that the Vikings are just this overwhelmingly talented team, and you know, player by player, they are. Um, but you know, the question is whether or not they can bring that talent to bear. And, uh, that's just kind of this huge question mark at the moment. A question that I think Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs are currently asking, uh, that will do it for another episode of the straight cash podcast. If you like the show, we really encourage you to rate and review that goes a long way for us. And if you're not an athletic subscriber, you can do so for 40% off at the athletic.com slash straight cash. We have a Thursday bonus episode available only on the app exclusively to subscribers that we would love if you could check out. 
And as always, thanks for listening.